0: To stay informed about Depolarize, Reconstruct, and any future podcast projects of mine, go to DanCokeWords.com and join the email list.
1: I love my family, I'm best friends with my dad. Uh, We get along great, and then this 2016 election cycle came up and it really drove a wedge in between some of us.
2: He repeatedly said the opposite, denied ever saying what he had clearly said on camera. And it was just one of these things where I just thought, what is going on here? How can someone running for president say, I never said that thing that I said on camera?
3: So the story of my voting for Trump is that I really didn't want to. I honestly uh, tried to look at other candidates. I was looking at Jill Stein because I would have loved to vote for a woman. That was part of what was killing me about not voting for Hillary is because I was really wanting to vote for a woman.
0: Welcome to the Depolarized podcast season two. My name's Dan Koch.
4: And I'm Ellen Morrow.
0: And this is a show where we try to find common ground at the intersection of politics, psychology, and religion. This is the start of a brand new season. Probably will be about 15 episodes, depending on how long some of this stuff takes. All of which ask questions that stem from that fateful statistic from 2016 election night. Ellen, what was that stat?
4: 81% Dan of white evangelicals who voted for Trump.
0: It's true. Uh, It's infamous now. It's been written about a lot. And I have been thinking about it. I
4: have the tattoo. I have have an 81% (laughs) tattoo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking about it a lot. And uh, I basically ended up deciding to interview four groups of voters. And here's how I got there. First of all, I wanted to interview the 81%, these white evangelicals who support Trump. I wanted to get to know them better. Then I thought, there must be A corresponding 19% white evangelicals who did not vote for Trump or do not support him wanted to interview them. Then I thought, white evangelicals are not the only kind of Christians in America. There are also people who are not white and people who are not evangelical. So the other two groups of voters are non-white Christians and non-evangelical Christians. Ellen, will you give us those four groups back again? Mm
4: -hmm. This is a test, folks. So, we've got white evangelical voting for Trump. Yep. We've got white evangelical non-Trump voters. Non-Trump voters, yeah. Then we've got Christians who are not evangelical, but they're white. And then we've got Christians who are not white.
0: Who are not white. Yes. So, that's the groups and... Of course, it's depolarized, so we will also have a bunch of experts throughout the season on various topics, and we just want to give you a little taste of what this whole season's going to sound like, so here are a bunch of clips from various episodes to come. Do you think he is an an honest man? I very
1: much think he's an honest man. I've gotten to know him well. He wouldn't have gotten as far as he has in business if he was dishonest. I think I wish none
3: non-Trump voters or Trump
0: opponents didn't think of me as uh, a racist. That would be good. But I also want to say sometimes you don't need philosophers. One of the things that always strikes me about the response of the Syrian refugees is we kind of know what we should do. And what we should do is help people who are at risk of being killed by a
2: predatory regime— you don't need a philosopher to say why you should shelter someone who's at risk of that particular kind. What you need is to live up to what you already kind of know you should do. God
3: isn't far away. God is with us now, here now. Every moment matters. That's the gospel to me.
1: I'll never forget. They bounced him off the hood of their car like, like, like he was a basketball I mean, picked him up. Two grown men picked him up, a 15-year-old kid, and threw him as hard as they could off the hood of the car. Uh, and it's shocking. It's shocking. His whole, All his teeth came out. Uh, he's bleeding all over the place. And they, lo- they look to us. right? They say, you fucking niggas, this is what happens to you.
5: Donald Trump's the first person that got us. He's the first person to actually at least pretend to give a damn about us since Reagan or even before that. It just hurts because we're told we're not human. And I just, I mean, we have reasons. I mean, we just... We're doing the right thing, and everybody hates us for it. Just, It just hurts.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I'm crying. It just, it just hurts. It's okay, <laughs> see, man. Thanks for being so honest. I appreciate it. To see my whole town just go downhill it just hurts.
4: I just can't wait to listen to all of these interviews. I just can't wait to get to know these people.
0: It's working. It's working at least on you, I'm
4: already sucked in.
0: (laughs) So besides the joy of just listening to people different from ourselves, which I think you and I both enjoy, some of the topics that we're going to be covering this season are as follows. A closer look at evangelicalism in America. Racial justice, especially between white and black church. Pro-life questions and whether either party is really serving that cause well. Tribalism and judgment of those unlike us social media and its role in polarizing or tribal thinking, and whether those who hold evangelical beliefs should stay within the evangelical fold or move on to greener pastures, and a bunch more. But this week and next week, Ellen, what are we talking about?
4: So this week and next week, we are going to be talking to that 19%, those uh, white evangelical non-Trump supporters.
0: And talk a little bit about our decision to start with them rather than, say, starting with Trump supporters.
4: Well, this 81 percent is such a huge broadcasted number. And what happens with that is that we kind of forget about these 19 percent. Like, Who who are they? I think you and I living in Seattle, we might have a better taste of who these people are. But I don't think most people... Uh, no, know, know these people
0: Yeah, there's a lot of press about evangelicals who support Trump There's not much press at all about those who don't
4: Right, they are the forgotten, if you will In, in the 100% <laughs> that we're talking about These are the forgotten, the 19% The
0: forgotten 19%ers, yeah I think the biggest takeaway from these episodes today and next week Is how articulate these white evangelicals are They really do differ from the majority of their ilk But that has led them to have to really think about what they believe and why. And I think that that's resulted in some really beautiful interviews and some really coherent worldviews. So let's meet our voters. I actually interviewed 10 of these voters, but for sort of mental clarity, we've cut it down to six for these episodes because it's just too hard to keep track of that many voices. But here they are introducing themselves. My name is Brandon Schumann, and I am a worship pastor at a large evangelical
2: church on the east side of Seattle. I'm 33.
6: My name is Rebecca Markowitz. I'm 36 years old, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee.
7: Uh, My name is Arlen Anderson. I'm 61 and live in Monroe, Washington.
1: My name is Greg Tomlin. I'm 34 years old, husband, father of three. I live in the greater Seattle area. I produce for the nationally syndicated talk show, the Michael Medved Radio Program, and I also do some guest hosting here on some local radio stations
0: in Seattle.
3: Vicki Anderson, I'm 61, and I live in Monroe, Washington.
0: Dennis Poole, can you start by saying your age, where you live?
5: I live in Edmonds, Washington.
0: How old are you? Uh,
5: 68. I'm an ordained pastor in the Evangelical Covenant Church.
0: So you have evangelical in the name. Right. So when we're looking for white evangelicals, you are, you're right there.
5: I'm the poster boy for that.
0: This is not supposed to be a representative sample of the whole population of white evangelical non-Trump voters. Of course, we do not have the resources for that, but it is a decent spread of gender, age, life stage, occupations, and even views.
4: So Dan, when people think about white Christian Republican voters, they think about a couple hot topics like abortion and anti-gay rights, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And that's for good reason, because those two issues really did animate that voting block for many years. Uh, After the Obergefell Supreme Court decision, gay rights is not so much on the table. And that has transitioned to more religious liberty talk now. But abortion is still a big issue, and for a good reason. Abortion affects a huge number of people every year. About 2.5 million people each year receive some kind of service from Planned Parenthood. Around 600,000 of those are abortion procedures. So for people who believe that abortion is a great evil, murder, or something like it, it's not hard to see why the issue becomes so important to them. And actually, many evangelicals did vote for Trump because they thought they had no choice, given Hillary's stance on abortion. Here's one of our Trump voters, Jeff, explaining his more or less complete inability to vote for Hillary based solely on the abortion issue.
1: I can only say that my wife and I, uh, before we got married, made that choice, and it was the worst choice we ever made in our lives. And so when Hillary Clinton was really making her... pitch as a presidential candidate and said that she was going to back abortion or she was certainly not going to change anything that definitely um, deleted her from my possibilities.
0: So you would say Hillary was disqualified if for no other reason than simply she was clearly uh, pro-abortion rights? Yes, I kind of looked at it as Hillary's okay with killing babies. But here is the perhaps surprising thing about these 10 white evangelical non-Trump voters. Nine out of 10 of them hold a pro-life stance and didn't vote for Trump. Only one of our 10 voters claimed a pro-choice mantle. Perhaps unsurprisingly, all 10 of them were also pretty dissatisfied with the current state of pro-life policies and political strategies. So I asked them, what does the term pro-life mean to you? That you care about life. First of all,
7: getting a chance to have life, having a to ch- not be aborted, to not be aborted, uh, to not be killed, to be pro life and say I'm in favor of the death penalty does not make sense to me. To say that I'm pro life and not be willing to help people have a more free and abundant life, I guess, using what the scripture uses, there's a lot of pressure. From a lot of different areas Um, and and to be able to help people with that, you know, uh, if they're struggling, if there's if they don't have enough food, they don't have uh, a shelter. If there's sickness, that kind of thing that keeps someone from having an abundant life, then I believe that that's the kind of things that we should be working for. What is the
0: term pro... Are you pro-life? Do you consider I am,
6: yourself... I consider myself pro-life, yes.
0: What does that term mean to you?
6: For me, pro-life is... It, it's a lot of things. It's, I mean, it's a sticky subject for a lot of people, but for me, I am a big advocate of not just not aborting babies. I also am an advocate of, well, okay, so we're trying to tell all these women to have these babies well, what are we doing to step up and help those women if they have those babies? I think it extends beyond just the abortion issue. I think it's, if we're talking about life, we're talking about all life and, um, and life extends beyond birth so that, okay, so we want all these people to have babies. So what are we going to do to help these women who are courageous enough when they don't have money or they were raped or whatever, what are we doing as a church to, to support them?
0: So it's worth noting that there are two separate strands of thought here. The first is that pro-life policies are often too narrow. They focus too much solely on abortion or restricting abortion and not on all the other factors that contribute to abortions. Exactly. So that's number one. And then number two, the church has a mandate separately from God to holistically care for people who are caught up in unwanted pregnancies, Right. caring for the pregnant women themselves, the father's. Filling roles of adoption and fostering, etc. Now, here, both Greg, who we're about to hear, and Rebecca make a similar argument that many of our problems would simply cease to be society wide problems if Christians did more than just vote for pro life candidates, but put their money, times, and lives where their mouth was.
1: When I think of the term pro-life, I come back to the Declaration of Independence, and that is, we are all endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I always believe that we should be erring on the side of life when it comes to um, the abortion issue. And so basically what that means is, God has given us a right to life. And so at the moment of conception... Uh, when the fetus starts out and there is a potential uh, to be a sentient being at the end of that process, I think we should do everything in our power to preserve that life. And you see this uh, with people that are comatose. You see this uh, with people that are sort of living um, you know, in a vegetative state. We always err on the side of life, except for when it comes to in the mother's womb. And I I think that's, it's just wrong, basically. But I will also supplement that with this. Conservatives, for the longest time, have been adamantly pro-life in that a mother should not terminate her pregnancy. Yet at the same time, I think conservatives could do more to volunteer and to make a difference uh, for women that have decided to have their babies, large in part uh, in crisis situations or out of wedlock and they don't have the means to raise that baby in a proper traditional environment, I think conservatives should go out of their way uh, to help women that do end up seeing their pregnancy to full term. And I think we've done not as much as we could.
6: You know, like orphans, you know, those the children in the system, they don't have good lives and they don't a lot of times have good track records for leading a healthy lifestyle and so I think that's one area the church can step up in. Um, same thing with single mothers. They, you know, They're caring for these children that we wanted them to have. So how are we helping them? There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of areas that I think we could do better in, especially as a church. And we wouldn't need any of these policies if the church actually did their job.
0: Okay, so Ellen, as a bona fide pro-lifer, do these voters pass your test? I mean, are these really pro-life voters? In your opinion? Oh, for
4: sure. And I really like that they actually know why they feel the way that they do.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of articulateness in these guys. I was really impressed by how articulate people were on an issue that really none of these people are in the mainstream on that issue on either side. All of them are sort of in this middle ground.
4: They seem passionate about it.
0: Yeah, you don't expect such profundity, maybe. Hmm. So, okay, they're definitely pro-life. But if we're playing devil's advocate, if I'm a Trump voter, I might think, okay, but are they really Christians? You know, maybe we have some really different understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I think that's a fair question to ask. Right. So I thought there was no better way to figure this out than to simply ask people, in their own words, what is the gospel? It's the old
5: spiritual, four spiritual laws that... that, Remind us. Yeah. Humans have fallen away. Uh, And there's a little picture of a chair. We've put ourselves on the chair and we've tried to run our own lives. And that, that has caused chaos and disorder in the world and that Christ penetrated the earth. He came as a person, as a baby. And in the form of a human, he walked among us and he showed us who God was and he showed us how we should live. And we need to accept that. And once we accept Him as King of our lives, the Lord of our life, then He continues to shape us and mold us into the people that He wants us to become.
3: That He sent His Son to die for us, and in dying for us, He covered our sins so that we can approach Him.
6: The Gospel of Jesus Christ is that He came down in the form of a human being, And He took on the sin of man and died for our sins so that uh, we do not have to reap the consequences of sin, which is death.
7: Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news, number one, that there is God, that I believe He is all-powerful and and the Creator, and He loves me. Taking the step from that, if that is true, it doesn't make any sense for me to do anything else other than to serve him and say, "What do you want me to do?" And then to understand that that we humanity was not getting the message, and so he actually came here to show us how to do it.
0: So, did you hear any red flags in there, or does that seem pretty? No, orthodox? not really.
4: Yeah, no, that seems pretty standard.
0: Yeah. Straight up
4: evangelical stuff.
0: Some good old <laughs> evangelical. Old timey. No, but really, I mean that. There's nothing in there to me anyway, and I, I suppose I could be a heretic to some, but that sounds to me like evangelical Christianity. And
4: I'm a pastor's kid, so I will give it the mark of approval stamp.
0: So speaking again to my Trump voter friends, who I really hope are listening, you might wonder. Okay, so they're Christians and they're pro life, but maybe. They're in church environments that are biasing them in some political direction. How overtly political is your church?
6: Uh, not very.
7: Not very. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I like about my church is is there's very little talk. I'm glad that they don't talk about personalities, uh, really ever. I wish there was maybe a little more talk about issues.
3: I don't think overtly political. I think, that, especially now, I think they're trying to be careful with what they say and that you know there's a lot of counsel from the pulpit to you know it's going to be okay um we've had bad presidents before and if you know things like that sometimes I wish I'd be a little bit more political and not try and be so safe
2: but it's not overtly political we um in that we would never say vote for this person or vote for that person we would never allow voting you know any pamphlets or information to be passed out here we uh, we did a, a series leading up to the election where we it was called God and Politics and and we just went through you know here's here's what it is to follow Jesus and then decide for yourself how that applies to your political leanings in this country. Uh, most of that sermon too was like hey stop talking and listen to other people. It was very much a everybody has an opinion. Let's let's listen. Let's um, understand how these policies affect other people let's let's empathize before we demonize
1: our pastor spoke about the political climate in the election season of 2016 but never specifically called out one of the candidates for doing something right or wrong and more spoke to the general demeanor and candor that was going on in the country and talked about how our congregation could be reconcilers and peacemakers and gave us really practical steps from the Bible on how we can be agents of change and harmony in the world. And I have to say, we lucked out. We didn't know this about our church before this election season, but I was very pleased to see that there was nothing overtly political or partisan about uh, our pastor, our leadership at our church, and it was really refreshing, so I'm really happy about that.
0: Okay, so Ellen, you know, you could imagine someone saying, well, Your pastor should have been political and he should have gotten out the vote.
4: I'd say that about my pastor. Yeah. I remember thinking like, why aren't we talking about this? This is huge issue, current issues going Mm. on instead of just, I mean, God bless him. He was just going through the gospel. (laughs) So, but also I think we were all sort of just waiting for someone to lead us and encourage us in some Mm. way.
0: Yeah. 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 So there is, you know, we did hear a couple people say they wish that their church had been a little more political, maybe just given the climate and whatnot. But you could imagine a conservative argument saying, well, you should have been getting out the vote toward Trump or whatever. You could imagine a voter thinking that. But it doesn't sound like we can accuse really any of the pastors of these voters for unduly influencing them to not vote for Trump. Right. Correct. Definitely not hearing that. sounds like
4: that for sure. Also, I want to know what churches these guys go to because they sound awesome. (laughs) And I'm excited to hear that these churches are happening around here.
0: Okay, so if I am a Trump voter listening to this episode, we have checked the boxes, I hope, of they are pro-life, they are evangelical, and they have an orthodox understanding of the gospel. And they do not seem to have been motivated by their pastors or church communities. So... The next question in my mind is, maybe there's a different understanding about how Jesus or following Jesus affects politics. Maybe that's where some of the difference is. Yeah. It has to be. It might. Yeah. Or it could be unrelated. So those are the two options, right? It's either unrelated to their Christianity or it's related to their Christianity and they have a different application. I see what
4: you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we asked them. How should the teachings of Jesus inform a voter?
7: And, and I think we need to start considering what's best for others and not just what's best for me.
3: Just to follow your heart and listen to him, not, not other people.
5: Again, I I'm not sure if this is a Christian principle. What's the greater good? And I think what's the greater good for not only society, but you have to say our environment. And you have to you have to balance those two. And then as a Christian, we pray about it and make our best guess.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like for you, actually, your process would be more like you believe in a utilitarian politics. Mm -hmm. So political decisions and political leaders ought to exist to bring the greatest good to the greatest number of people. And then as a Christian, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but a Christian ought to be sort of led by God to vote for things that they think are in the best interest of everyone to the best of their understanding. Ed, you said it better than I could.
5: <laughs>
0: okay.
1: And so e- each candidate, each policy has to be judged on its own merit, and you can't make a blanket statement of, oh, if you're a Christian, you'll vote this way every time, because it's complicated. Yeah. And I go into that fully knowing I'm going to make the wrong decision from time to time.
2: I think the best thing a, a voter who wants to follow Jesus... The best thing they could do is read the Gospels and write out their own list of what they see the core teachings of Jesus to be. Don't Google it. Don't, especially don't go to a, a political website that is trying to make that connection for you. Just write them out in your best understanding. What is Jesus saying? And then in your other hand, you know, research the policy or the law or the candidate and Try to understand the best you can what they're going for, and then go back to the teachings of Jesus and say, is the, you know, is is this law or this candidate, um, this policy, is, do I feel like these line up with the teachings of Jesus or not? And it's not always that simple. It's a lot more complex than that. So even even going back and forth and saying, well, maybe this part seems to line up with the teachings of Jesus, but this part doesn't. So what do I do with that? Then you pray about it. Then you. Um, but that to me is how to make an informed decision.
6: You know, I think it's from person to person. I mean, everybody has different things that they're passionate about. Uh, but I think you have to look at what Jesus taught and what Jesus said and how Jesus acted. You know, he went to the sick. He didn't go to the religious. He, you know, I, I truly believe if Jesus was here today, he'd be at the bars and he'd be out talking to those who need him. Um, and we so often forget how much we need him as a society, um, cause we're a rich country and we have a lot more than a lot of people. What, what happened? I think that, uh, voters were scared because Trump is really great at, uh, you know, using the fear message for his agenda. Um, And then the media just accentuates it. And sure, there's a lot of terrorist attacks going on. But if you look at statistics from how many people who immigrated to America who are actually terrorists, it's extremely low because they do have a good vetting process. So Yeah. yeah, I want them to, you know, I think they're just so stuck with Republican is Christian, which is not always not all Republican policies, in my opinion, are biblically based
0: you know evangelicalism is a personal faith we're going to talk about that in subsequent episodes with some people who know a lot about the history of evangelicalism in america But one thing, having grown up evangelical, that I can say unabashedly is it is personal. It is about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is about you and God, you and your Bible. And so I found it refreshing to hear all of these evangelicals talking more system-wide, talking in bigger, more universal, you know, these these causes cause this, cause this, cause this, and it affects a lot of people. It's not just personal.
4: Yeah. And I really liked, I don't remember who it was. You'll have to tell me who it was, who talked about um, breaking down each policy and figuring out what you believe about those policies. And That's and Brandon, re- who's a pastor here. Yeah. yeah, I like that because as I've come into where I have ultimately landed with my pro-life views, it did not take a summer Um and I think that everybody Meaning it took a long time. Meaning it took a long time. Is take a summer like a real
0: is that a phrase that people use? It took a summer.
4: You get out you pick up hobbies in the summer.
0: So I followed that question of how do the teachings of Jesus inform a voter with a question about what God requires of us as Christians in the realm of citizenship in terms of how we relate to fellow citizens or to other people who are living in our country. And almost everyone said some version of love your neighbor as yourself. But here are a couple examples.
1: Simply to love your neighbor and try to interpret that as, as best you can. Um, giving selflessly, uh, helping people out, giving people a leg up when they're in need, uh, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, worldview.
3: To love. I don't- That's the main thing, to love people, to love God and to love people.
0: One voter, Arlen, put a little bit more meat on the bone. For him, the parable of the Good Samaritan provides a robust structure of how we might consider this question, of how we ought to relate to our fellow citizens.
7: You start off with a Samaritan that probably didn't have real good theology. Jesus didn't say anything about his theology. He went on his daily walk of the day, whatever it was that he did in his business or his life for that day, and he saw somebody who was in need. He didn't know who the guy was. He didn't know whether he was gay, straight, Republican, Democrat. He didn't even know if maybe he was one of the robbers in the first place and he just picked on the wrong guy. But he needed help and he offered of his own stuff his own time, his own money to help him. And he didn't preach to him. He didn't say, well, gee, if you agree with me, he he just met his need because because he saw somebody in need. And I think that's where we need to be in life, politics, and everything. I used to be really conservative. I used to be individual responsibility, you got to take care of yourself kind of thing. But I have learned over the years that we're not all given the same toolbox. And there's no reason if God, I mean, it seems so obvious in scripture, whether it's within the United States or whether it's us looking as a nation, looking at other nations, that if God's blessed us, that just tells us that we should be blessing other people. We're the light of the world. Okay, people are supposed to see God's love in us. So if God is blessing us and sharing with us, we should be blessing and sharing with other people, too.
0: So I if we could use a little Christian lingo here, I'm actually pretty convicted by what Arlen said. I'm definitely the guy who sees the homeless folks uh, on the corner. And I think, eh, better people to help than that. I, you know, so when when uh, I love what Arlen said, he didn't know if that was actually one of the robbers and he was going to try and help the wrong guy who would turn around and harm him. And I thought, ooh, that's sort of how I think about people in need is that they might jeopardize my own safety. Right. So interesting. I, I felt like. Ugh, you know,
4: it's funny you bring that up because just today I was thinking about, you know, now that I've got my toddler with me all the time, I put I don't put myself in situations anymore that would allow me to reach out to people hmm. because, um, you know, before I might have not thought twice about, you know, like getting out of my car to go over and – you know, ask someone if they're all right or whatever. I would never, never do that now.
0: Because you wouldn't want to leave Phoebe in the car. Because
4: I would be then choosing that person over my kid. And it's so weird being a parent now. It's it's sort of nice because you get sort of a free, (laughs) you get a (laughs) freebie. That's awful. But it is, it's awful. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's something I'm kind of navigating right now. But I also want my kid to understand how to love people. And I want to be an example.
0: Yeah. That'll be a a hard balance to strike as she gets older. Talk to me in
4: 10 years.
0: (laughs) So I've been sort of taking this rhetorical stance a little bit throughout the episode of addressing a skeptical Trump voter, right? We've the logical flow of this has been, okay. skeptical Trump voter. Let's go piece by piece and let's just see if we can get a bridge built. Right. Right. And the case I'm trying to make is that these fellow evangelicals have a coherent worldview. They have a coherent Christian worldview. Now, later in other episodes, we'll be addressing non-Trump voters and making the same case on behalf of Trump voters, that they have a coherent worldview as well.
4: Okay, so you will be playing devil's advocate at some point.
0: Yes, I, I will be basically advocating that people take Trump voters seriously. That will be my job.
4: I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Those episodes should have their own um, theme songs.
0: Either way, like in either case, when you're making this argument for either of these groups, if you go far enough down the rabbit hole of your own group's thinking and your own group's tribal loyalties, you can start to question things like if the other group is patriotic, if they care about their country, or if they're just a bunch of whiny brats. So I have felt this happen myself. In moments of more extreme internal polarization. Have you ever experienced that? When you're almost like, do these people even care about America? Do they care about anything good?
4: Yeah, like so far down the rabbit hole that you you think maybe that they've forgotten what they got into it for. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: So do you you feel that way with pro-choice people? I'm curious. Ever?
4: 100%, but also with pro-life people.
0: (laughs) You really have no friends.
4: That's... What, that's one of the to lay your I'm there, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing this together.
0: So uh, one of the things I wanted to make sure, and I'm asking this of every group of voters, all four groups of voters, is what do you love about America? And here are some of the answers from our 19 percenters.
1: This is a unique experiment in world history, and I think it's fragile. We're 250 some years into it right now, and The greatest part of this experiment that is worth preserving is letting people decide what they will make of their life for better or for worse. I don't think it's the government's role to step in.
2: I love that we are founded on the belief that everybody deserves a shot. At the time that our nation was founded, everybody, the term everybody, didn't actually include everybody, which is tragic. But I think what I love about it is that it created the potential for everybody to mean everybody.
3: I love that I can sit here and say what I believe and nobody's going to come and get me and arrest me and, and that, that you're even interested in it. And maybe you're not, but I, I appreciate
0: this. I am interested. (laughs) Let me assure you.
6: In, In the midst of everything that's going on right now, we forget sometimes how free we actually are. We have the right to protest. We have the right to believe what we want to believe. We have the right to say whatever we want to say, even if it's stupid and shouldn't be said. Um, we have so much freedom, and especially as a woman, there's a lot of f- freedoms I have here that I wouldn't have even in some European countries. Mm. I mean, just going and traveling abroad, I walk differently. I, I hold my head higher Um and that's something I'm always aware of when I travel because I stick out like a sore thumb because women aren't like that in other countries. Um, and there's still a long way to go on a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, but I do think one thing we forget to do is celebrate how far we've already come and, um, and celebrate the differences that we have. And, and like I mentioned before, I love that we're a melting pot society.
0: Okay, so I'm not one by nature... To sort of get patriotic And I don't think you are either I'm
4: definitely not
0: And so you know part of me is A little uncomfortable talking about This stuff I mean it, it's hard for me To not think about well what about All the atrocities that America has committed I mean that that's a very liberal thing for me to think And feel
4: Yeah I didn't even go there I didn't even oh. think about that
0: Well don't okay. not right now So but I am pretty uh, Encouraged it's It's kind of inspiring to hear people talk about America. I mean, I got a little, some tingles. Can
4: we insert the proud to be an American?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about social bubbles, social groups. Um, One thing I found in these interviews is that most of these voters were not in sealed social bubbles. Where, what, do you, what do you mean? Where, like, none of their friends or families voted for Trump.
4: Ah, oh, okay, so they were sort of the lone wolf.
0: Well, Black or sheep. a mix. Like, they all had a, there was a range, but nobody hardly knew any Trump voters. There okay. are one or two people coming up in different groups that would say that. Okay. One, Our Catholic voter, for instance, Mary, she said she hardly knows anyone who voted for Trump. None of these voter, voters were like that. They did have community members who made the opposite decision that they made. And I wanted to know how that had gone for them. So I asked them what the moment was like, if there was a particular moment, when they realized that some chunk of their community would be voting for Donald Trump.
1: I love my family. I'm best friends with my dad. Uh, We get along great. And then this 2016 election cycle came up and it really drove a wedge in between some of us.
6: It was hard. And I remember going into work one day and having an argument with my coworkers, because a lot of them were very high on this immigration issue of, well, we want to keep him out. You don't understand the vetting process. And it's like, well, have you ever read anything about the vetting process? Because I've read articles about the vetting process, and I think people are pretty well vetted.
3: Uh, The moment was uh, at coffee with a a gal from church who I do some things with. um, I do a luncheon with her. I do the food for a luncheon for her her, um, in the women's ministry, mentoring ministry and she wanted to have coffee with me and I thought that's what we were doing and she just went off on um on Obama first of all and all the horrible things he was doing and what he'd done to our country and then talking to me about Trump and putting her hand on my leg and saying um, oh, Vicky, it's gonna be okay, and he just he just got prayed over by um, you know Dobson and and a group of men, and it was gonna be okay, and he was gonna be the answer for everything, and I I couldn't believe it. I guess I was like, oh my gosh, and I didn't really even know. T- I just kept saying, okay, and I'm not sure about that, and I'm. That was the moment I just I was like, "Whoa. People are really I just I couldn't believe anybody would would be so swayed by him that was seemed like a normal person that would I, it was really disheartening. Really disheartening. And,
0: and. Okay, Ellen, we were just playing this back and you were audibly sighing and making a lot of sort of...
4: <laughs> because I had that conversation, I had that same conversation. And it was with a friend who told me that she had a vision, um, that it was Trump and the you know the heavens opened and there was this velvet carpet being rolled out and there was a tabernacle. And, and I just sat there and thought, oh my God, oh my God. God, I'm like, I'm, and I have any, I wasn't able to say, well, you know, you've lost it because she's so smart and articulate mm-hmm. and she loves people and she's incredible and she's super cool and modern. And I just am, I'm still confused by that. Yeah. We have not lost our relationship by any means because I love her so much and, and we have a great relationship. Um, it wouldn't matter, but... And maybe it's true. Maybe maybe, maybe he's there God's is chosen one. A
0: spiritual tabernacle and Donald Trump is in the and Holy And you know of what? My
4: friend had told me I don't like him as a man. I can't really get behind him as far as his character goes, but I feel that God was telling me to vote for him because he that God would use Donald Trump. And and that is when I thought, you know what? God's bigger than this. Maybe she's on something. God can do that. God does use people. And so I'm holding on to hope that she's right.
0: Well, we're actually going to get into this with one of our Trump voters who felt God tell her specifically to vote for Trump. And I'll talk more about it. But I don't necessarily think, I don't think it's impossible to believe that Donald Trump should not be president and also to believe that God wanted certain people to vote for him. I think those are separate questions. Okay. And I think we tend to conflate them. Uh, but there are, you know, 150 million people voting, 130, whatever it is. And perhaps it's better for you and your community for you to vote for Donald Trump so that you can have a relationship with people. Right. I mean, there, God could have any number of reasons for wanting a particular person to vote a particular way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's... I could hear the discomfort in your voice. I can see it on your face. Uh, it it can I be... I just poured myself another glass of wine. Yeah, another glass of wine. Uh, it can be... Uh, this, this stuff can get personal. This is,
4: for me, this is where stuff gets really heavy because I'm one of those people that think it doesn't really matter what happens. At the end of the day, relationships are really all we have. They are the most mm. valuable thing that we have.
0: And so... It can be hard when relationships start being affected tangibly by politics like this. So transitioning away from the super emotional, uh, but still talking about this community and some people in their community voting for Trump, a few of our voters were not surprised at all by the fact that a bunch of their community would be voting for him.
5: Well, he said all everything that they wanted. They He claimed that he would be against abortion. He claimed that he would redu- reduce government. Um, he claimed that he would be creating jobs for everybody. He, he just spoke to what they wanted. Um, but I don't think his life manifested the voice that he was giving.
2: It didn't surprise me. Because um, I think that's how people work. Like, I don't see... Uh, the evangelical group as any different than any other sociopolitical or religious group in our tendency to go towards groupthink. Um, when a lot of people that we admire or desire to have community with are leaning in a direction, it's really easy to just go in that direction like you're in a current. So the, like even uh, psychologically or soci- sociologically, that makes sense to me.
0: I also wanted to know not just what it was like to find out that people had voted for Trump in their community, but actually how their interactions with those people had been since the election.
7: There haven't been many interactions because most of the Trump supporters that I've talked to are so adamant that I tend to just kind of smile and nod and not really get into too much discussions with them. Maybe it's just the circles that I'm in that most of the people that I know that that voted for Trump and it comes up are very passionate and it's not worth an argument. If it's obvious that they're looking for my opinion, but I haven't found that very often that the Trump supporters I talk to are too concerned about what my opinion is. So I I don't worry too much about it.
2: This election felt different in the lasting relational effects. Um, And and there are certain family members and friends that I, and maybe it's just me, but I feel more distance from, like it felt like it forced people to polarize more than ever before. All it did was distance people from other people and then keep them there.
0: What does that make you think about?
4: Well, it makes me sad. It makes me sad because I think everybody's been feeling this way for a year. Yeah. I, r- I hope makes liberals and Democrats, if you will, can we throw those together f- sure. for the sake of the argument, understand that this is how Republicans and conservatives have always felt about them as well. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um,
0: oh, yeah, the, the way that those of us on the non-Trump side think about our Trump-voting Christian friends right. is the way that they have thought about us for our whole lives.
4: Right, there's a reason that conservative Republicans get defensive and it is because they feel like they have to go to battle instead of being in dialogue. And there's some responsibility on the other end to, to take for that, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. certainly Hollywood and kind of the, the public voices of the left can be very sanctimonious and very judgmental
4: and very belittling. I think that there's this whole idea that Trump voters are dumb and that's heartbreaking to me because there's just a lot of work we have to do to kind of re to to kind of work backwards and, and value these
0: people. So I want to tease next week's episode a little bit We will have the second and final part of our series on who we're calling the 19% white evangelicals who did not vote for Trump. We will hear them answer straight up why they didn't vote for him, whether they ever considered voting for him, if there's anything Trump could do that would make them support him, and how their lack of support for Trump is or isn't derived from their evangelical faith. But on today's episode, we have one final question that we're going to hear these voters answer. And it might be actually my favorite question. I asked some version of this to all four groups of voters with slightly different phrasing. The question for these voters was, what do you most wish that Trump voters understood about you or about your community? In this case, meaning evangelical Christians who could not vote for Trump. I love this question because it attempts to get at the heart of the pain that this separation can cause. We've kind of been talking about that for the last 15 minutes here off and on, you're going to hear some fairly emotional answers from every side of the aisle throughout this season. But again, here is the 19 percenters answering what they most wish that Christian Trump voters understood about them or their community.
3: Uh, that I'm not a bad person, that I'm not going to hell because I didn't vote for him. I really feel some people are thinking that I'm all way off base if they totally knew. And I haven't totally told any of those people that I didn't vote for him.
2: That my motive in not voting for him ha- had less to do even with my political leaning and it had more to do with my Christian conviction.
5: I just think it's uh, having a... Comp- compassion for the needs of the poor a government should be judged not on the gross national product but on what we do for the good of a, of everyone in the nation and in the world really so for me gov- governments are ordained by god like i kind of buy into luther's two worlds that there's a realm of heaven and the war- realm of the earth and there's an intersection there and that we christians need to live in that that intersection i think People have bought too much into this, making this a Christian nation.
0: So you're you're saying you're you're sensing too strong of a Christian nationalism right now on the right. Yes.
6: I I think the thing with Trump voters is... They feel like they have to be defensive because of the backlash against them and um or against him against him, and yeah. so they feel like, "Oh, well, I have to justify why I did what I did um and I've seen people attempt it and it not go very well um so I guess I would say, I wish they would just be willing to sit down and have a civil conversation with me or with somebody with similar stances that go, "Hey, look, look, not all his policies are horrendous, you know i I am I guess in the Republican Party." Uh, But there are some red flags here that I wish you guys would take a closer look at um, and give valid points and arguments for those red flags. And maybe they would actually listen.
1: I think one of the things is I've sort of opened my eyes to the idea that politics isn't everything. And I think everybody likes to place far too much importance on what's happening in the executive, legislative and judicial branch of the country. Uh, Samuel Johnson once said, uh, it's a famous quote, how small of all that human hearts endure that part which laws or kings can cause or cure. Ooh, and beautiful. I, I have that on my wall and I remind myself of it daily because um, I think my well-meaning friends on the right thought if Trump doesn't get elected, man, this world's going straight to hell. If, if Hillary's elected, man, we're in for it. It's doomsday in America. And I just wanted to be like, you know, politics isn't everything.
0: So this has been a lot. And I guess my deepest hope is that there are... Trump voters, Christians, who are listening to this and who feel like they have a better sense for their brothers and sisters across the aisle. So next week, we will be hearing from these voters more on a number of other questions. Why didn't they vote for Trump? Was there a moment when they realized this? Is there anything Trump could do to make them support him? And we'll get their thoughts on the term evangelical.